1: This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 906, brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. And sitting in for my co-host Josh Flanagan this week is Dr. Ryan Haupt. Hey everybody, hope you enjoyed eating a large dinosaur yesterday. <laughs> and welcome to I-Fanboy Pickle Week episode 906. This is our post-Thanksgiving show. It's a bit of a mess. I'm recording from a bathroom in, at my f- grandmother's apartment. Uh, there was no other safe place to do it. I might sound weird. I I might get. I mean, you might hear water pipes running behind me. It's the best we can do Uh It's Thanksgiving. These shows are always a bit of a mess. But I hope you had a great time if you're in America. And if you're in the rest of the world, I hope you had a a lovely Thursday.
0: And if you're in Canada, we hope you had a nice one last month.
1: Right. This is our belated happy Canadian Thanksgiving to you. So, um, also, in addition to the show being a little stranger, uh, I didn't get to read all my books this week. Ryan, you did read all your books this week.
0: Nearly all of them. Yes.
1: Okay. I read uh, maybe, maybe two thirds of them. Again, this is the way it goes with Thanksgiving. I just didn't have the time with all of our family get togethers.
0: Yeah. We stayed in town and we went over to some friends for the the big meal. And so, you know, by dint of having a toddler and there, he was, you know, one of several toddlers at this particular get together. And so like, as soon as we were done with dessert, all the toddlers start crashing. And so we got to leave relatively early. And so I had a, a couple hours in the evening with that where I wasn't having to clean up, the kitchen, because I didn't host, and the kid was asleep, and so I was able to get get some books read.
1: Yeah, I think I read, I made sure to read all the big ones, like all the major, you know, because you seem to get this week every time you're on the show, Ryan is Somehow, big,
0: yeah, even, big even DC though, week. right, big DC week, and I'm not like, a, a lot of my picks lately have been DC books, I think there might be, there might be some recency bias in the whole Tuesday releases, like I'm reading those books first, and I, I wonder if like, my stress levels are slightly (laughs) elevated by the time I read my Marvel books to like getting them read for the show that I'm just enjoying them a little less. Does that Uh, make any sense? I I think
1: you, you keep getting this powerhouse DC week where there are five or six best books are being published all at once. So
0: yes, I think that certainly
1: helps as well. So let's get into it. Every week, one of us reads their books and from that stack of books, they read whatever the books, whatever books they read, whether they read them all or not, we uh, pick the best one, call it the pick of the week. we talk about that book, the other books in the week, the patron pick, We'll answer some listener mail, hopefully. We we, we we might have time this week because we are a little light on books. And here's a spoiler warning. This is a review show. Exercise some caution. Ryan, you had the pick. Let's get into it.
0: Yeah, so the pick this week is Batman Superman World's Finest, number 21. I uh, Mark Wade, Dan Mora, Timer Bond villain, and Steve Wands. I felt almost guilty about picking this because we just sing its praises every time it comes up. But I'll be damned if it just wasn't the best thing I read this week. Um, this is... This is Mark Wade returning to Kingdom Come, which I know Connor, you've reread in the last couple of months. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have not reread in a couple of years. I would like to. It's on my list of of things to reread, but I just um, I, I I don't know. I'm sure there are other writers who could return to their own work, you know, 20 years later and do something fresh and original with it. But Mark Wade just seems to be knocking this out of the park. Like it's it's totally believable that this is a story that occurred. In the Kingdom Come world before the point in time in which we dip into it at, at, when we read the Kingdom Come uh, graphic novel. Right. And um, I just love um, the subtle design differences in the characters. So like Dan Mora is able to distinguish like I can tell that the world's uh, the the Kingdom Come Clark Kent is distinct from our our Clark Kent, you know, right. and, um, same for the Bruce Wayne. And I thought it was like, there's some clever choices here where, uh, boy thunder, I guess he's now thunder thunder, man. They almost, I don't know if you caught this, but to me, it almost looks like his costume design is trying to be reminiscent of when they brought Jason Todd back in hush.
1: Mm. Cause A
0: the domino mask and the leather jacket, but then they also bring back, um, the kingdom come nightwing before he becomes red Robin. And he's almost got like a Batman beyond vibe to his costume, which I thought was really cool. And so I just thought there were a lot of really interesting character choices. It's, it was interesting seeing Superman just get soup. Our Superman get like super frustrated with the situation and uh, Batman kind of have to talk him off the ledge. And it's just, I'll be really interested to see because obviously this is part two of however many parts the story is, and so part two is the, the heroes mistake each other for enemies and fight. And so now we have to figure out how they come, come around to being on the same page and work together to go against the larger threat and, um, just classic gosh comics. And I just can't get enough of the series.
1: Yeah. And there's, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm looking at myself while I talk. This is strange. This is a mirror here. Um, I really like this a lot. It, it, it is, I'm very curious to see how this will wrap up because if there's not some sort of mind wipe to the kingdom come characters, this would be a major shift in, in them. So I might have to sort of regard this in my own personal continuity. as sort of like an elseworlds tale, because in the same way of, I thought back to uh, way back to when Marvel started up the star Wars books. And I read the first couple uh, those. It was Jason Aaron and John Cassidy, I believe was the creative team. And, and they had uh, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker meet before empire. And I was like, Nope, I can't do that. And here there seems to be some, Fairly aggressive, uh, co- not continuity changes because this Kingdom Come, but aggressive changes in the characters that I would have to sort of ignore myself. I'm, I'm enjoying the story separately, but if it, if I look at the context of Kingdom Come, it gets kind of dicey. Until we get, if unless there's some sort of event later on that makes them forget, and also at the end of the story, Magog shows up, and they're all kneeling in worship of him. Superman, Bat, you know, Batman, and uh, from Kingdom Come, so that's that seems very well. Strange I think it, wait, well. it's
0: it's Gog that shows up, and I and think David, right. David, Thunderman is going to become Magog. I think what yeah, yeah, I'm saying
1: pretty. is, if you look at that page, the oh, Kingdom Come yeah. characters are kneeling in front of him, yes. in worship, and so that's very bizarre to me. Yes, it is, uh, and so I'm hoping there's something strange going on here because it seems like it'd be a major, major weirdness for the Kingdom Come universe if they all worshipped this guy Gog right um,
0: and, and but, on the on the very last page there's a, a splash page that reveals a ton of other characters and that that was something i always loved about the kingdom come universe as well was like trying to match who all these characters
1: yeah.
0: are and um i know i know you have you and josh have been lamenting sort of the trying to make let's try to make peacemaker happen in the dc <laughs> right. but do you see there's like this weird mandalorian peacemaker
1: yeah that was i mean that was the i think that was the suit design from this from the kingdom come world
0: Oh, I mean, yeah. I just, well Peacemaker was so not on my radar that when I read Kingdom Come, however yeah. long ago, that I just wouldn't ever. Kingdom that. Come
1: was briefly, you know, like one of the many characters in the background. Did I say Kingdom Come or Peacemaker? Peacemaker. I'm very tired. Peacemaker was one of the, you know, many characters that were in the background, but given much um, more prominence than Captain Marvel here, who you think would have a lot more prominence considering his role in
0: in the Kingdom. Story. Come. Yeah,
1: but um, I yeah, like this is this is super early on. You're not most of these characters have not transformed into the. Uh, versions of themselves we see in Kingdom Come. Alfred's still alive, albeit very old. but um, And Clark only has the slightest hint of grey in his temples at this point. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, super fun. My my reservations about how it fits into Kingdom Come aside, uh, you know, Dan Moore is back. I, I was honestly surprised. I mean, I, he must have done the last issue, too. I, I was surprised he came back, only because he seemed to be permanently gone to Shazam for uh, for at least a little while, but I, I mean, guess my was, question
0: is: Would you trust anyone but Mark Wade to tell this story? Like, no, is I mean, any- would,
1: no, but at the same time, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean
0: that he won't flub it too,
1: right? Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes you shouldn't go back again. And again, I don't know that it, this is so early on in the arc. I don't know that it won't all make sense in the end, and it may. It just right now, I was, I'm reading it, going, is this what I want? to change in Kingdom, like you know, so. We'll see. I mean, I want to make it clear. I'm very much enjoying this, and I enjoy this issue. I just, in the back of my mind, there's always the pulling up my. When it, this is one of my favorite books. Kingdom comes. It's in my top ten, maybe my top five, all time comic stories. And so, if I see some, it was it was really the Bruce Kingdom Come, Bruce and Clark and Dick kneeling before Gog. You know, and I was like, well, what the, f- what the fuck? And again, this is I'm supposed to think that probably. So yeah, I'm yeah, looking yeah. forward to more, but. Um, yeah, it was this was really fun. This was really this was good.
0: And then the um close runner up for Pick of the Week like I, I almost could have flipped a coin uh, was uh, <laughs> Batman Off World by Jason Aaron with Doug Mankey who I can't remember the last time we had a Doug Mankey book and boy was that a fun thing to have back in, in mm-hmm. my stack. Inks by Jaime Mendoza, colors by David Barron, and letters by a mysterious letterer who some kind no, of letter name anyway
1: in the credit page.
0: So what did you think of this?
1: So first of all, this is this is exciting. Jason Aaron coming to DC. He we just did a, Josh, our other co-host, just did a TalkSplode interview with him where he talked about his. He was given the opportunity to to join the Bat family a long, long time ago. He was he was offered the Robin book, which broke my heart when he said no when I, when I heard that because I, I, I we talked to him a long time ago at one of the conventions, in New York or San Diego, and he said he was a huge Batman fan and he would love to do bat you know be able to write Batman someday. So it's you know, fifteen years later or however, he's finally here. And um, I really like this a lot. I like that it is. I think it's taking place in his first year, so it's like it's like a Batman Year One side tale. So you've got a very classic Batman setup,
0: right? They they say something about like this is maybe the first time he's been off planet,
1: right? And so he's and and the big so this the big conceit here is he spent he spent you know however many years traveling the globe, learning the best fighting styles to become Batman and all the you know detective skills and everything. And then he encountered an alien on Earth and realized he didn't know how to deal with aliens. So now he's going off-world to do a similar journey through space to learn how to defeat aliens. And look, it does does it totally make sense in the context of Batman being gone for so long to learn? It's probably not, but it doesn't matter. It's really fun. It's also it's just it's an, idea.
0: It's an idea that I don't know that I've seen before, and that's right. so rare to get in these stories. Of just yeah, like that's awesome.
1: And you get to have dog Monkey drawing crazy. You know, aliens with with claw faces and all kinds of stuff, and and a Batman who is not used to this stuff, being you know getting his ass handed to him by these really strong, powerful aliens, he doesn't know how to deal with. Uh, I thought it was really fun. I yeah, I fun.
0: love like the be- in the beginning when he comes across the two aliens you know, sword I've never seen before. And he's like, but I don't know where their pressure points are. I don't know what their joints are vulnerable, but like, but they have faces. So I guess I'll start there. And he just, it's so.
1: I like his voice. I like his Batman voice a lot. I like his Batman
0: voice a lot too. And I really liked the ending with the training droid. Um, So essentially (laughs) the the aliens train by beating up this droid and the droid is just only used to taking punches. And Batman says, no, I want you to hit me back and and work your way alphabetically through all the aliens in your database. So I learn all the different fighting styles. I'm like, that's such a Batman thing to do that I've never seen done before. And that's like, yeah. how I, I just, yeah, I loved it.
1: It was like Dobby, the house elf getting to, you know, fight. It's like, mm-hmm. I can punch. Um, <laughs> and he's got a Tamarian sort of sidekick, possible love interest in on the ship. So he's, he's basically been captured onto the ship where they, they use that they use these they use the alien captures for either you know manual labor or fighting in the pits you know those are the typical sci-fi alien stuff and so
0: or, or selling with the spice mines of Kessel
1: right so Batman is having to you know first of all he's going to survive because he said these are all really strong powerful creatures he's, he's amongst he's not just going to win automatically so he's got to survive this situation and escape from it so right now he's just trying to learn how to hold his own against you know stronger faster aliens and. If Jason Aaron's not coming in to take over Batman, then then do a side story that, that doesn't affect anything and have a fun f- sci fi twist on it, and t- tell a Batman story that's you've never seen before and one that makes sense for the character in, in in a certain way. I thought this was this was really fun. I was really excited. I mean, I was hopeful when I when he announced it was a book, and then it was like he's a sci fi. Uh, I was like, oh, that's just a little disappointing. But then, I, but then you read it and it's it was good. Uh, speaking of uh, big big battling fights. The Sensational She-Hulk 180 or vol- uh, volume number two, uh, the cliffhanger in the last issue was that she, uh, She-Hulk opened the door and the Hulk was there. And so now we have Bruce has shown up. And we haven't seen the Hulk in Rainbow Rowell's run so far. And I thought this was this was also fun because what it did was it tied in a couple of threads from the ongoing Rainbow Rowell story, most notably that pair of scientists, the couple who – stole her blood and tried to make themselves into, she, into Hulks and didn't go as planned, and now they're angry at her for not doing anything wrong. And Hulk does not want to get involved until the, um, Hulk scientist lady calls herself Hulk and Hulk's like, Oh, wait a minute, I'm Hulk, and then a big Hulk, Hulk brawl. <laughs> Which, like, um, as,
0: as character motivations go, basic but appropriate for <laughs> these characters. Like, it works.
1: Yeah, I like, I like seeing uh, Jennifer and Bruce, even though it's not, you know, at this, at this at this version of Hulk, it's the long-haired version from the other book, you know, Bruce is not in control uh, or not as Hulk, so Hulk's very touchy about that. I, I, and I really like how she's like, I just want my cousin, you know? Yeah. You know, what, what do you want? I just want to get brunch occasionally. Like, it, it was really nice character stuff in the midst of giant Hulk, too many Hulks battling in the middle of Manhattan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just, I mean... I'm glad this book continues on because Rainbow Rowell really has that Marvel feel.
0: Well, and it continues. I mean, kind of like what you're saying. You know this this is a this is a big fight issue, right? This is the this is three Hulks kind of squaring off, or really two Hulks going at it, and one Hulk trying to uh, minimize the damage. But it still really is like a relationship book. Right. It, it's about the relationships between these characters. It's about this husband and wife and their relationship with Jennifer. It's about Bruce and his relationship with his cousin. It's about Jennifer and her relationship with the city. Like it's, it really is balancing all of those things nicely with a good bit of comic book action.
1: And you know, the, what, what these people did was terrible. You know, they, they, they took her blood and they tried to synth- synthesize a new Hulk. And you know, that's, that there's, it's a very, very, uh, deep violation of someone's body, you know, bodily uh, autonomy, and so they're, they're even though they're kind of silly villains, they're also pretty dastardly. And yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I also like the. Um, I've never since I've never lived in New York City, um, mm-hmm. I don't have the relationship with the the hot dog vendor, the hot dog <laughs> cart that you probably have, but I like that in comics, you know, Superman does it, She-Hulk does it. Like, there's a lot of care given to the humble hot dog vendor. They don't want yeah. them to. To, they don't want to lose their livelihood they don't want to they, she hogs there to help
1: <laughs> so she she makes sure he gets to escape with his cart and he offers her free snapple for life. i mean is it our yeah. hot
0: dog carts that important
1: i, I mean certainly when important. i was a kid people used them a lot i don't know how it goes now but uh, when i was a kid sure we got them all the time it's an it was an, an indelible part of you know the atmosphere of the city was the hot dog vendor um
0: did you want to talk about the uh, backup at all
1: yeah, I, I like the backup. There was an unexpected backup story written by Bobby Wilson with art by David Cutler that featured a team up between She-Hulk and Wyatt Wingfoot in Washington, D.C. And yeah, like that was also, it's, it's She-Hulk's, you know, just such a great character. And Wyatt, she used to date Wyatt. So there's like a whole uh, sort of, not romantic tension, but there's a little bit of underlying sportiness, yeah. Yeah. Even though she's, you know, in love with the most handsome man in the universe, Jack of Hearts, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it was it was short, and it was just it was you know short and sweet. But it was I like seeing her with her other characters from her history that we don't get to see in other books very much, very often. As as Wyatt, she she was helping Wyatt deal with the tribal issue in front of, in front of the government didn't go their way, but. You know, it's it's always good to see the various aspects of her character because there's lots of them. She's very mm-hmm. versatile.
0: Yes, she is. Um, the, the DC geography was a little off on this, but that's okay. I can I can let that slide. <laughs> um, that was like the one. There was like there's like one overhead shot of the Capitol, and I was like, well, that's not. Those angles aren't. It's okay.
1: It and it ends. You know, She Hulk doesn't always need to smash the villain to win, and so that's also, you know, nice to see sometimes too.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's, yeah you know, almost more so than... I mean, there's other attorney characters, you know, in comics, most famously Daredevil, but, like, She-Hulk really seems to be a character that negotiates her problems as often as she punches her way through them, which is very interesting.
1: And it's a nice contrast to her being, right? She's a Hulk. And so being the Hulk who negotiates is interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's good. and She's capable of being the Hulk. She's capable of getting angry, capable of smashing a car and throwing it, as as happens in the first story, but she's also... Know, capable of using her her brains and her lawyerly skills to get out of things as well which makes her fun
0: so yeah i'm still really enjoying this series i i, I can't uh i'm, I'm so uh, continue to be very impressed by rainbow rowell what she's bringing to the to the mcu marvel comics world i almost said mcu but that's not what the, that's I know. not what it is so Well, since it's a holiday, I thought I'd let myself have a little fun by inserting a little Go-Go Power Corner. It's been a while. You've you've held off, and I I find that
1: admirable. Yeah. Uh, And since it is the holidays, I'll let you have this one.
0: Thanks. Uh, Mighty Morgan Power Rangers number 114. Uh, Melissa Flores continues to write this series, um, and this is the darkest hour storyline. Basically, the team is divided across three or four different – space sectors and the problem they're having is the morphin grid has been compromised connor and now um oh, no. yeah so there's this um there's this being that's now capable of corrupting rangers and turning them into dark rangers and that's not that's no good now i don't want to what
1: i'm sorry what did what was what's corrupted the morphin grid
0: the uh it's it's basically the, the power rangers version of the force it's the thing that connects all all the rangers um and gives them their their powers and abilities
1: does it to the surround them and bind them?
0: Yes, it does. Um, and oh, the only okay, the, cool. and now I don't want to I don't want to touch on the, the 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 racial implications of what I'm about to say. But fortunately, Tommy Oliver, who is the White Ranger, is incorruptible. Um, so, but all the other Rangers are at risk of being corrupted and turned evil. To work for Mistress Vile and her her legions. Now, um, this has forced the Rangers to have to team up with Dracon, which nobody's happy about because um, we're no, yeah, of course not. Well, he's I mean, he's a corrupted Tommy Oliver. From does El- he wear no. like
1: a helmet and like a black cape or no?
0: Yeah, Dracon wears a gold yeah. cape, um, and he doesn't wear a helmet, a so you can helmet. see that he's got one of those like side shaves on his head. So he's got like long hair, long floppy hair on one side and shy, shaved head on the other. Well, side. He's definitely
1: but, a villain then. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure,
0: for sure, and a villain from the '90s. But remember, he's an alternate version, <laughs> alternate universe version of Tommy Oliver.
1: Right, I'd forgotten that. Obviously, yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, yeah. so you know, we got a lot. Of, we got a lot of things going on right now. Things are things. This is very much. I think the Rangers Empire Strikes Back. They're 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 uh, on their back heels, and they're really going to have to fight to to keep from having some of the best amongst them turned against them, and uh, keep the Morphin Grid intact. To to make the power protect them is what I'll say. <sighs>
1: Okay. Listen, 114 issues is nothing to sneeze at.
0: I know. It's it's reaching the book is reaching um it's reaching a point in the in the series of the TV shows where like I don't recognize at least half the characters at this point and, and oh, wow. they're, they're hanging on to like some of the original cast members by by their fingernails, it seems. And I think once if the book ever fully moves on to like the next generation of Rangers as the shows all eventually did because the actors aged out, I think I'm done. But as long as some of the oh. original as long because I don't have any connection to those those future genera. I, I mean, I watched a couple series beyond the original Mighty Morphin, but you know if they go beyond, so you if they go beyond like you, the you Zio e- Rangers into like the Turbo, I, I can't hang. I'm done.
1: Even you have a limit oh, yeah. when it comes to the Mighty Morphin. But apparently Power not.
0: A, apparently the limit is more than 114.
1: <laughs> have you read all these issues? No,
0: no. I've read a lot of them though. I, I picked. I think I picked up um, the series about halfway through uh, Ryan Parrott's Run, and then have stuck with it since. I've probably read 50, 60 issues of this.
1: Wow, amazing! Did you read uh, Wonder Woman eight hundred and three or, or three? Did you read that one? I did. So I just want to talk about the ending of the main story. We we can talk about more, but I really want to talk about the ending of the main story. Is the implication here that the so-called daughter of Wonder Woman Trinity is not Wonder, Diana's daughter, but the daughter of the Amazon from the very first issue?
0: That seems to be the implication.
1: Okay that's good but
0: who's the i didn't know who the character was in the final panel that seemed like it was supposed to be a reveal
1: that's her that's the daughter okay so the the, this is taking place on two separate timelines apparently the 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 narration by the king of the united states is taking place sometime in the future when when the daughter is you know 14 15 however she is in this in that shot the we all thought it was Diana's daughter because they were like the kids of the kids of the Trinity. And there's even a backup story where she's hanging out with Damien and Jonathan. But from what Sarge Steele says, and I don't know how re- reliable a narrator he is. Uh, her DNA matches that of the killer who, who started this whole mess off in the first issue. Right. Not Diana, but a redheaded Amazon and the daughter's redheaded. We all thought it was because it was a combination Diana and Steve.
0: But right. There, not there are a couple of pages in here that are like some of the most Tom King pages <laughs> the the scene in the elevator where she kicks the guy and the music is playing yes, was like that is yes. such a t-. and then um, the page where it shows the office door but then pulls out to reveal that the office door has already been bashed in which I'm like that's great comic booking like that's an awesome that's a yeah. that's one of those things that like you can do in comics really well that other media not so much uh, yeah. what did you think of the whole sequence with the King of America and the soldier?
1: I mean, I knew, I knew it was not going to go well for him. I, I find it all interesting. You know, the King of America has is, is got this soldier at his house, and he's got all these uh, artifacts from history, including John Wilkes Booth's gun. And the soldier, I don't think is appropriately scared enough <laughs> by what's going on <laughs> yeah. here. But,
0: he was just sort of a gee whiz. Uh, golly shucks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then he uses the lasso of lies on him, right? That's what it is. It was and, interesting
0: to me because the soldier's written to be kind of um, dumb, I want to say, and I don't certainly not sharp. No. Yeah. And I actually, it's it was interesting to me. I don't know if Tom King is good at writing dumb characters. Like it almost, it, <laughs> it almost didn't quite work. Like I think Tom King is good at writing really competent, confident, uh, with, you know, with got their shit together characters and having like kind of a babe in the woods in over his head. I didn't, I didn't think the dialogue worked quite as well as it worked for other parts of the issue, which is not a criticism. I just think Tom King's a yeah. smart guy. It might just be tough to, tough to get his head in that and, space.
1: And we don't exactly know what the next step is, right? He's he's going to be fed some lies via this via this lasso. Right. So the lasso the of truth that-
0: compels the person holding it to tell the truth whereas the lasso of lies seems to allow the King of America to to convince the soldier of some lies about his battle with Wonder Woman.
1: Right. So is, is this guy going to become some sort of villain? We don't know. We don't know what's happening next. We don't skip the next part you don't yet. Think, you don't think a guy convincing a soldier to kill themselves is already quite villainous? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I mean the, the soldier, not not the president. Well, but of the soldier United. kills oh. himself. Oh, does he?
0: Yeah. Um, second to last page. it He like, well, the yeah, the last, the final sequence after the jet is revealed, it shows him writing the note and then taking the gun out of the drawer. Oh, and, right,
1: right, right, right.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the whole—I right. I think, yeah, the idea is they're yes, trying to right. like paint this picture that like Wonder Woman is emasculating
1: our armed forces, and therefore, oh, friends. that's right, that's right. He was—he he, was—he was less of a man because he got beaten by a woman. Yeah, and so he had to kill himself. Yes, which doesn't speak badly on the woman, which speaks badly to the man. I think that doesn't, but in this world, it, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I, I mean, I still think this is, this is really fun and good, and I like the moment where she one-ups Sarge Steele with her visible jet like that i thought this was a really good issue but i really was interested in the sort of climax of the story in which we find out the, so, the so-called so truth about the daughter about trinity so we'll see if that's actually the case i hope it is yeah I, just turning every dc character into a dad and a, our a mom is not not gonna be fun for her for me
0: i i hear that and i um i was a little lackluster on issue one of this story so i kind of wanted i was glad this was in the rundown just so i could say i've stuck with it and i think each issue kind of feels a little samey of just like Wonder Woman shows up in a situation where she should get obliterated then just isn't because she's the best.
1: So uh, the, the, the complicated thing here, and I don't know that we've quite balanced it out properly is the timelines. So yeah. we know that the voiceover by the King of the United States is in the future. We know the final scene where the daughter's there is in the future, but then, when we actually see the King of the United States with the soldier, that's in the present. Right. Because with the it's story, you know, what happened with the last issue. So it's it's a little confusing as to if we're weaving in possibly at least, at least two timelines.
0: Oh, and I um, think I just noticed something. I think in that final panel, I think the daughter has the lasso of lie wrapped around her.
1: Well, he's got her, he's got her, oh, oh. See that? It's kind of obscured mm, by I the shadows that. of the, yeah. the
0: prison bars, but there's like a glowing black...
1: Yeah, so we don't know what the truth is at this point. Yeah, we haven't, you know, it could be that Sarge Steele is lying to Diana about the, the the parentage of Trinity. It could be that he's telling the truth and there is some other lie being fed to her. We don't know what's happening yet, but I am hoping it's not Diana's daughter. That's for sure. And then the backup was fine. Yeah, that it was, was cute. I mean,
0: nothing, nothing wrong with it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, um I very yeah. briefly wanted to touch on Marvel superhero Secret Worlds, Battle World number one. It's a this is one of a four issue. Miniseries by Tom DeFalco and Pat O'Leaf. and it's a it's a very throwbacky uh, '80s '90s issue. Uh, you know, sort of in Secret Wars adjacent. It's got Spider-Man dropped into some sort of fantasy realm that he assumes is the Beyonders what, doing.
1: What I read was that it takes place in between the panels of Secret Wars.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, so he's in the black suit, and uh, the only the re- really the only reason I wanted to bring this up is because. Um, while I was waiting to, to finalize the rundown for the show. So I wasn't exactly sure what books we were going to talk about. And I think there was a, a moment where this was in the running for patron pick. Yep. Julie was trying to get some some vacuuming done around the house, and Cal was being a distraction. And so I was like, Cal, do you want to read a Spider-Man book? And he said, yeah. And so we, we hopped <laughs> on the couch, and um, he knows who Spider-Man is. And what I realized is something that he hasn't figured out about comic books yet. He's got, like, one little kid issue of Spider-Man that we'll read that's got, like, uh, Peter and, and Spider-Gwen and uh, Miles. Um, and like very, very for children. And this, this book is very for nostalgic adults. Right. The thing that he hasn't figured out is that the panels represent different moments in time. So on each page, he was just <laughs> counting the number of Spider-Man. It was one, two, three, four, four Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm like nobody—that's the same Spider-Man, four different times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you need to have him read understanding comics, right? Now. Exactly. Come
0: on. And so, and and on every page, he would just be like, "What's Spider-Man doing?" <laughs> and I'd be like, "Well, he's kicking—he's kicking a giant, buddy. What's Spider-Man doing there? Well, he's, he's shooting his webs, bud."
1: How does he feel about Black Spider-Man costume?
0: He—he he was able to figure. I mean, I think because. He's seen Miles Morales. He understands that like Spider Man can have different looks and still be Spider Man. I see. I think that actually works for him. I don't think he understands that this black suited Spider Man is Peter Parker Spider Man. But you know, right now we're just working on the the just the very basics.
1: How was the book from your perspective, not 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 Cal's perspective?
0: It was fun. It was just a fun kind of romp. You know, it's very um, it's a very verbose. Peter Parker, where he's like saying literally everything out loud. The first realm he's in is like an ice giant realm. And he's like, oh man, you know, it's cold enough here that I wouldn't even mind hanging out with Johnny Storm, the human torch. And then like he gets sent to a different dimension. That's very hot. And he's like, oh, it's so hot here. I wouldn't even want Johnny Storm, the human torture. And I'd rather have (laughs) Iceman here. (laughs) Just like, okay, come on. But it's fine. If that's what you're into.
1: Yeah. Yeah, From what I could tell, it was set during secret wars just sort of in between issues or whatever. But and so I, I, I love secret wars as you know as a kid, one of the more for- formative things that happened in comics, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I don't need, I don't need a story that takes place in between the panels of that book.
0: I can, I can just appreciate that. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was a way to kill 10 minutes with my oh, kids. No, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm glad
1: Cal liked it. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy for anything that, you know, can bring, can bring kids into enjoying comics is all, all right with me. So those are the books we're going to talk about again. We didn't get to read all of our books because of the holidays. So these are some of the highlights. Sorry if it's fewer than normal, but it is what it is. We used to do the the post-Thanksgiving show. It used to be like a half an hour long. We used to just end it. I remember once Ron and I did it. We talked about like four books and we had to go because it was still – I'm still basically – I'm still at my family's house. Right now there are seven people in this apartment I'm hiding in a bathroom. There's going to be about 14 later. All right. So – that's what we want to talk about. But the patrons still get their vote at the, on the patron pick. The patron pick is a book the patrons vote to add to, get, to add to the rundown. Every patron gets a vote. And this week it was really only about three books. Only about three books got more than one vote, even. I think one book got two. But the rest were all – all the votes were, were mixed amongst the book you just said, Super, Super Marvel Superheroes, Secret Wars, Battle World, and Batman Offworld, two world books. But the winner was The Holy Roller, number one from Image Comics, written by – Rick Rem- well story by Rick Remender Andy Samberg and Joe Troman I assume Rick Remender also wrote the script art by Roland Bashi R- Remender's uh, longtime collaborator colors by Marino Denisio, and letters by Russ Wooten and what we have here is a story of uh, Andy Samberg and Judd Hirsch teaming up to fight anti-Semitism in Ohio yep is what this basically with a bowling ball so um the main character is definitely Andy Sandberg. The, his dad is definitely Judd Hirsch, and uh, I, you know this was actually, really, you know, obviously very, um, very timely. But uh, I thought this was really good. I thought the you know human stuff was was powerful. I thought the antisemitism that the family has to deal with was was very hard to you know read. And then you know it, it's basically this kid who grows up and comes back to his hometown, and the assholes assholes are still the assholes, the the, the anti-Semitic pricks are still the anti-Semitic pricks, and he's going to become a bowling-themed vigilante hero. I don't want to say this is clearly just a TV show pitch, (laughs) but I don't want to say it's clearly not just a TV show pitch. It didn't matter. I thought it was still well done.
0: I agree. Um, It was interesting... To see sort of the Sandberg influence on a remender book. Um, you know, it's sort of it's a little silly. It's a little 90s, even though I don't think it's set in the 90s. I think it's set in the uh, well I guess it's, well, the, the flashback need... sequence is reminiscent of the 80s and then there's like a whole devil sticks sequence, which
1: <laughs> <laughs> the flashback takes place in 86 when he's a kid. so you know, however much longer it's been since then.
0: Um, Did you ever watch a show, you might be a little old for it, on Nickelodeon called The Adventures of Pete and Pete? No. It was a sitcom about this family where they had two sons and they decided to name both sons Pete. Um, It was very kind of zany. It was almost like uh, David Lynch for kids Mm -hmm. in in its sort of surreality of suburban life in the 90s. And there's an entire episode about which of the two Petes will inherit the family bowling ball named Rolling Thunder. (laughs) because <laughs> the dad's finger the dad's fingers get too fat to fit in the hole so he's got to bequeath it to one of his sons and it becomes this whole inheritance struggle so um
1: I mean the the main thing here is sort of the you know the 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 kid his dad Judd Hirsch is a big time big bowler he likes to bowl they're at the bowling alley the bowling alley amongst many things is owned by this you know Billy Zabka type uh you know. Blond, bu- blonde bully, and his bully cronies, who uh, bully the ki- bully the kid, beat him up for being Jewish and make fun of his dad. And then when the, when and that's Andy Samberg. And when Andy Samberg goes off after a stint at on Greenpeace doing nothing but hanging out and I guess intensely working out. I know, right? Boat, this is a ripped Andy Samberg doing some uh, serious CrossFit on that boat. He comes back to town to find that. You know the the people that were the bullies back then now run the town and so now, you know, Billy Zack is basically the in charge of the town and you know, has a physical conflict between him and and uh, the other friends. It's it's it's, it's clearly set up issue. Uh, yeah,
0: but. I thought that the only thing I think that didn't really work for me was that it felt like they spent a lot of time on the Greenpeace boat where it could have you could have <laughs> just cut to 20 years later.
1: They really like that Captain character. They Really like that Captain character.
0: Uh, that that whole like, <laughs> where he, he what does he talk about? Like uh, he like has like four or five different nicknames for all the heroin he's clearly done in his life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, we got five pages of that Captain. But I mean, look, I, I thought it was fun. I mean, it's. Uh, you know, nothing groundbreaking. It's a guy returning home. It's a bit of a comedic take. It's not fully comedic. It's not silly, but there's there's certainly. I think a lot the Greenpeace
0: captain is Bill Murray. I think is who they're going for. <laughs> there,
1: it could be. I mean, we see we briefly see John Goodman's character from uh, The Big Lebowski yep. the bowling alley. Yeah, well, actually, does look like Bill Murray, so I guess that could be it. Um,
0: which I mean, which there, there's a major plot point in Big Lebowski about how John Goodman's character is not Jewish but took his wife's surname and now right. identifies with the Jewish faith, and so like that's you know that there's you could almost argue there's a, it's more than just a cameo. There's a thematic reason to include that character.
1: And like much of Rick Remender's stuff, there's there's commentary on U.S. love of gun culture, and there's a whole shanty town in town <laughs> and daddy and issues. The, and, that is, and the synagogue was turned into a Winchells and so you know I obviously they, they couldn't have uh, foreseen the current events, but it comes out in a very timely time in terms of dealing with anti-Semitism. And so it's uh, I thought this is this was a really interesting and fun read and I'm looking forward to reading more of it. Even if it is a little silly, I like that you know it's got to contrast the serious nature of the story. Do
0: you know Andy Samberg and I share an alma mater?
1: Uh, I did not know that. He's a Santa Cruz guy. Oh. Yeah. You have similar hair. Or you did. You used to have hair like this. <laughs> used to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you like it overall?
0: I did. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm a fan of Rick Remender, and I'm a fan of Sandberg, and this was well executed. And I think, it, like you said, it's very much a setup issue, so I think based on how the issue ended, I'm curious to see more.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the re-exciting role of these like sort of not light but fun and funny adventure stories it's not um quite as over the top silly as uh the scumbag but it's definitely a comedic piece
0: yeah i felt like up until the end this was this was sort of a satirical but grounded take of what's going on in the country today and then when he starts bashing people's faces in with bowling balls and like taking gunshot wounds to the leg i'm like okay well this character's gonna get up from that, and then the you know, the reveal for the cover of the next issue is he's got like this superhero suit based on bowling balls. And I was like, how far <laughs> of, how far afield from reality are we gonna get with this?
1: I mean, that's a serious suit. He's got like claws on his toes and I mean
0: crushing people's heads with a bowling ball is a serious crime. Like that's not like you know, you know, it's not just beating up the town bully. Like they, they
1: oh, no, rude. those the, the, those guys are dead. Yeah. I mean, they're dead. But um, it's it it has it's an interesting of, of like a melange of like eighties you know the eighties set up with the blonde bully you know trope and then like uh, modern day anti semitism modern day economic issues you know modern day vigilante superhero stuff it's like he's putting a lot of stuff in the pot here and Rick Rick's able to really dance all those things together into into a fun story he does he does that very well yeah I agree. And he has terrific artists, and Roland Bashi, someone he's worked with for years and years, and he doesn't. Like, you know, we talked about in the beginning how it's clearly Andy Sandberg and clearly Judd Hirsch and I guess clearly Bill Murray, but he doesn't make it obnoxiously that so, and that's no. the best way to do it. I, I don't mind when they use models;
0: they're they're cartoonish versions of those
1: characters. Yeah. if it's, as long as the models don't come off as stiff and trace, you know, Tracy, then it's fine for me. I don't care. So,
0: well, and they also, I mean, there, there's a. Especially with the Judd Hurst character, the way they wrote the dialogue. I mean, you can hear him saying it when you read those pages.
1: Yeah. So that's the Holy Roller number one, the patron pick. Ratings on the Holy Roller number one out of five. I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, I think a four is four is appropriate.
0: I agree with that. And I'm going to stick with it. I'm also going to stick with it.
1: All right, so there you go. Patreon.com slash fanboy Every patron gets a vote to add a book to the rundown. All right, so if you're a patron at the $5 or higher level, the reward that you get is that you get a superpower handed to you live on the show. Sometimes we forget and have to make it up on the spot, and sometimes we prepare for it, and sometimes you never know which one it is. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you feel like a nut, and sometimes you don't. Ryan, you have the the power this week to give the power away.
0: Yes, thank you. And this power goes to Viewer B, and in honor of our American-based holiday, Viewer B's power is he can summon flocks of birds to do his bidding.
1: Oh,
0: all birds? I think so. I think. I mean, I, I thought about. I, I think for a minute, I thought it might just be turkeys, wild turkeys, but I think that's too limiting.
1: I was reading yesterday that wild turkeys are on a serious decline in America.
0: Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that's not good. No. What's in, Yeah. What's interesting about I I didn't want to. Part of the reason I didn't want to 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 just do it the turkeys is there's this thing like there are groups of male turkeys that are usually all like brothers with each other and they'll go around and like the toughest of the brothers is the only one that gets to mate but the rest of them will like oh. defend the brother from from any. So it's uh,
1: like the bully from the holy. War.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yes. There's the dominant male. Yeah. It's like that. It's one of my favorite Futurama jokes is when the aliens are watching friends and, and he just says, Why does Ross, the largest friend, simply not eat the other friends? <laughs> <laughs> so
1: so he can summon the birds and he can I guess communicate with them enough to have them do what he wants them to do. In broad
0: strokes, yeah. It's not like a full on telepathy, like they couldn't. It's not they, Aquaman. they couldn't like they couldn't like bake him a cake, you know, but if, right. if he needed like if he needed something, um,
1: attack tippy hedron,
0: mm-hmm, or or yeah. uh, you know lift up that stick and move it to a pile over there, like collect you know firewood or something like that, like m- menial tasks that birds could reasonably perform. He can he can summon a parliament of owls. He can get a murmuration of starlings. He can have a flock of turkeys, and I think it has to it's regionally specific. The birds have to be around. They're not they're not summoned from like the nether world. Like it has to be in a place where you could have a great horned owl fly by.
1: Interesting. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Also, I'd like to point out Tippy Hedren's still alive. So the birds failed. Yeah, they didn't get her. She made it out. So there you go. That's a fun power. I like that. I like the. I always like the, the image of like a guy standing lifting his arms up and then birds just flock around him. Because yep. it's scary. Yeah. Because they're all dinosaurs.
0: They are all dinosaurs.
1: Thanks, Viewer B, for being a patron. Patreon.com slash ifanboy. You can be one today at the $5 or higher level and get on the list to get your own superpower live on the show. So thanks for being a patron. Let's do audience questions. We've got time for once on this shortened Thanksgiving episode, which is starting to look like Greg M from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania writes and says, I am playing through Marvel's Spider-Man two and finding myself saying, man, Craven is such a good bad guy, which makes me wonder what makes a good bad guy. Is it a cool costume pushing the hero to their limit? A complicated backstory side question. Who are a fanboy's favorite bad guys? I've been thinking about this question since October nineteenth at eleven fifty p.m. when I downloaded the game. What makes a good bad guy, Ryan?
0: Do you agree that Craven is such a
1: good bad guy? Uh, yeah, I think he's a good bad guy. I think so too. I think I think there's different kinds of bad guys, and I think there's no one way to be a good bad guy. We had a we had a we had a debate in a writing class I took in college about whether or not Emperor Palpatine was a good bad guy or not. Because some people felt because you didn't know his backstory at the time that he wasn't good that there was no since not we didn't know his motivation it made him a cheap cheap bad guy I didn't I was not on that side of the argument that was the argument being made and I don't agree that with it I didn't agree with it then I don't agree with it now I don't think you need to know everything about a bad guy to not, to for to be good like when Mister Zaz showed up. In Batman comics in the 90s. We didn't know anything about him. I don't know why what his motivation is to kill. I just know he was a scary force in nature that really made life difficult for Batman. And that I thought he was a good bad guy. And I think he's still a good bad guy. I don't think you need to know everything about him. However, when you do know a lot about the character's backstory, like Craven or like Doctor Doom... It can make them more interesting. So I think there's lots of different ways to make a good bad guy.
0: Yeah. And I think Dr. So you bring up Dr. Doom, who I think is one of the great bad guys. And I one think of the great
1: comic characters of all time. time, possibly the greatest bad guy of all time.
0: And I think there's, um, there's gotta be different categories of bad guys. So like there's bad guys that are the, the dark mirror of the hero, right? Sure. So like Dr. Doom is clearly the dark mirror. He's the, he's, he's Reed sees what he could have become in doom. And vice versa. And I think that's also some, you get a similar dynamic there with um, Batman and Joker, right?
1: Right. Yeah, sure.
0: And then there are... Spider Man. Yeah, that's another good one.
1: You know, uh, there's, and you have characters like Lex Luthor who are essentially b- bad, but are made worse because of jealousy. You know, he's essentially just at, the, at his heart, really just jealous of Superman, what Superman can do, Superman's adoration by the public, that he can never be Superman is, is at the heart of his villainy. He was. I think he's better when he's always been a bad guy at heart, but yeah. at, at the end of the day, he just wishes he dreams about being Superman, right? That's the, that's the thing like his, that's why he's always showing up in a suit or a costume, right? When he can, because it's like, I could be this guy. If only I, I had the ability to do so. And that makes him the, the jealousy, the petty jealousy of it is the tragedy that makes him so compelling as a villain.
0: And I think another, another tact to take with what makes a great villain is the person who really does believe what they're doing is Right. And I mean, so I think the Ra's al Ghul or I think my favorite example of that is Magneto as mm. mm-hmm. Like old, you know, I know Magneto has been co-opted and redone as almost a hero, but like that original idea of Magneto and professor X, both more or less fundamentally believe the same thing about the mutants and humans and the, the relationship. They just disagree on how to solve the problem. Right. Right. And they both think that they're solving it in a way that is doing the most amount of good for their particular group. Mutants, and they right. just but one one does so by essentially running a terrorist group, and the other doesn't. So,
1: <laughs> well, so it's the Martin Luther King, Malcolm X dynamic, which is what yes, exactly. It was sort of based on it, it, it. There's 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 a million ways to make a great villain, and you know the comics don't have no lack of them. I, I tend to like the more classic villains, you know, the Marvel villains from the sixties. Uh, I remember when...
0: And there's, there's one thing we haven't brought up. is, yep. You know, there, there was a question here, like, is it a cool costume? Eh, I don't really think. I mean, there are a lot of villains who have fantastic costumes, but I don't think that is a make it or break it. A com- a, yeah,
1: no, not a little. I think
0: we disagree that there needs to be a complicated backstory. A complicated backstory can help. You know, pushing the hero to the limits is always a good one. But we also haven't touched on the the, the villain that's genuinely frightening to not just the hero, but to the reader. So I think an example of that would be like a purple man.
1: Mm-hmm. If you really mm-hmm.
0: think about what Purple Man would be capable of, that guy is terrifying, and that's a good villain.
1: That is true. And I also, I do want to ask what you think about the Force of Nature villain. So, like, is Galactus a villain?
0: Hmm. I mean, I
1: certainly he's certainly a villain to those who he cons- consumes. But is he just? He's just a he's just a hungry being. He's trying to eat, and so right, to yeah. us he's a villain. But to him, but he's not. Doing it because he gets off on it. He's doing it because he needs. He's hungry,
0: right? So it's but like I, a shark, if a shark
1: eats you and you're swimming in the ocean, to you that shark is a villain. But to to the shark, you were just lunch.
0: Well, I, I I've said this, but I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but I might have said it to you personally. Of like, there is no such thing as shark infested water. That's just where sharks live.
1: Right, 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 right.
0: Uh, I think you know that that's an interesting one because. I remember reading some article back when I was a much like a way younger kid practically. And and the question was, uh, was being asked of the person like, who's the better movie villain, the alien from aliens or the T-Rex from Jurassic park. And the person was like, neither of those characters are villains. One is an alien trapped in a situation. They don't understand just trying to get through it. The other is an animal that was cloned (laughs) and brought back to life. Like they, they don't have any villainous motivations.
1: The predator's a villain.
0: Yeah. um, But, but just being a predator in the case of a
1: a T-Rex. No, no, but hunting, hunting people for sport is villainous.
0: Yes. Yes. So in that sense, Galactus probably fits more in that category, but I also, I don't know. I think, I think maybe this is getting too philosophical with it, but I think a, a, a deity level being that doesn't care about whether or not the planets he's consuming have sentient life on them and what that means for their own hunger
1: I think that's villainous. I think that, I think that I think I fall down on Gladys being a villain. Yes. Yeah, I, agree I think too. so.
0: And I, and I also just think I mean, like if the mandate that, that Stan gave Jack was like the Fantastic Four fights God, then yeah, God's the villain in that case.
1: <laughs> and I think that makes it interesting, right? The conversation to have is is you can do you can I mean, why do we read these books other than enjoyment is to sit around with our friends and, and talk about stuff like this. Right. It's like is but is he really a bad guy or not? And that's that's the fun of this of this stuff. Uh, but you need, you need a, the bad guys are essential. You need them in your story. They need to be interesting. They need to be compelling. They need to they need to strike fear in the heart of the characters and a little bit into the reader as well. I, I, I still viscerally remember as a kid that way. Norm Brueffel drew Mister Zaz. When I read them in high school and the Batman Shadow of the Bat issues when he first appeared, it was terrifying. And I also think
0: there's like the pushing the hero to their limits that can mean a that can mean a bunch of different things. Like the way Killer Croc pushes Batman to his limits is very different than the way the Riddler does.
1: Sure, yeah. and like
0: the way that Doc Ock pushes Peter Parker to his limits is very different than the Rhino. And like there's value in both those things. There's also like there's value in variety, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I'm never I'm never scared of the Rhino, but the Rhino's fun. You know, that's where I think his value as a villain is. He's just fun. He's just, it's a little silly. Yeah. i they're worried the Rhino's going to beat Spider-Man, you know. But it's fun when he shows up.
0: There was a great issue published. I think it was a Peter Milligan issue called Flowers for Rhino, where they do like a Flowers for Algernon with the Rhino.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know you want to talk about a complicated backstory. Like they basically make the rhino a super intelligent genius level person, and he realized, and he's miserable, and he like wants to be the dumb brute again because he doesn't like the burden of his intelligence.
1: And <laughs> it's, uh, I remember that.
0: Yeah, it's a good issue.
1: We just is just to really briefly touch on. I think Craven's fun because he has this operatic backstory, and so you get to be over the top a little bit with him. You get to have this sweeping generational story with him, and. You know, this guy who hunts and is a very formidable fighter is 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 a scary contrast to Spider Man.
0: It's also like it, it, it's
1: you and know, he's a great fucking costume,
0: great costume. And if I think I think Craven has some sort of powers now, but in the early days, I think he was just a human. Yep. And the idea that a human could train and master the master the art of hunting to the point where they could be a threat to Spider Man was like, oh, that's that's, a, that's not good. And yeah. I, I've, I've seen the trailer for the movie that's coming out, which uh, looks bad. <laughs> and apparently like it, the, his blood gets like mingled with a lion. So now he's got like lion powers. And it's yeah, like, well, no. well now like it's actually to me, that's less interesting because it's yeah, way less interesting. If a human with the proportionate abilities of a spider is up against a human with the proportionate abilities of a lion, I think the lion takes it. <laughs> like
1: Right. But also it's just, I, I, I mean, I don't understand the need to give everyone power because to me, the idea of a man honing himself to the, peak of ability and again i'm a batman fan we all know that is more interesting than oh i'm now a lion yep you know it just it's it's just less interesting that way but let's move on to patrick k from north carolina who says i've been struggling with the release schedule for trades or collections for comics i've always thought that especially when writing for the trade started the ideal thing to do for comics would be to uh once a story arc finishes a trade should be released soon afterwards like the next week This way, if someone's desired to catch up on the storyline of a comic book quickly, they could purchase the trade or collections they need and then start with the single issues as soon as possible. What are your thoughts on publishing schedules and what would be the ideal for iFanboy? I've been thinking about this question since I started my three-year stint of working in a comic book store back in 2008. Um, It's interesting because trade schedules are all over the map, and I'm always surprised to see what actually gets collected like this week, I saw there was a Daredevil and Echo collection. And I was like, well, I, that was an f- enjoyable miniseries, but does anyone want to own that in collected form?" But I do know that inside the comic book companies, they've thought of trades as cannibalizing single-issue stories. Some, some regimes more than others. Danidio is very much on the idea that cop trades sales hurt single-issue sales. So that's why they didn't put trades out immediately after. I think your idea is a good one that you could catch up that way. But I think their hope, they were, at least that regime was hoping you would just go back to the store and buy back issues.
0: I also think that that um, mindset is maybe is a pre-digital mindset. Yeah. Like now with yeah. digital comics catching up on single issues while you then, if you still wanted the trade, if you, if you were saying to yourself as a consumer, I would like to have this story as a collected edition, but I would also like to catch up on it right away so that I can, you know, uh, be aware of what's going on and not get spoiled or whatever. You can do that with digital issues and then still not have anything physically taking up space on your shelf until the trade comes out.
1: I think there's so many different kinds of readers. You know, people who follow books via trade aren't necessarily people who follow books via issues or digitally certainly are, are, are their own separate kinds of readers. And I don't know. I don't know that, you know, beyond Patrick or a, a smaller group of people that people would, who are issue readers would dip into a trade and then jump into issues. I don't know that that, that is probably as prevalent as people who just want to read and trade or just want to read an issue.
0: For a while, I was a just want to read and trade guy. Yeah. And I, I was willing to, to make that trade off. And, and then I think what happened, the how I ended up as an issue reader was I worked for a comic shop like Patrick. And on Tuesday nights, my Boss would literally. I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but like I was, I, I would while I was stocking the shelves, I would just flip open the issues and read them on Tuesday night before they were for sale. Most
1: most, most people's stores do that. So, okay, yeah.
0: So so you know that was what kind of got me in the habit of reading issues rather than just waiting for the trade for everything.
1: I mean, for me. I have to read issues to do the show, but I do. I do still buy trades of books I really like to have on my shelf and to flip through and to read read, read again. And
0: now that I'm doing this show more regularly, I've almost completely stopped buying trades.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I can. It, yeah, I mean, there's less need to. And I think with di- like you say with digital, it's in the old days it was the issue went into the box, the box went somewhere, I never opened the box again. But now I have my iPad, and at any time I can call up the issue, and so mm-hmm. I have less of an, slightly less of a need. To have the trade, because before the trade was the way to keep it handy, because I had it on a bookshelf in my apartment. But now, with, with everything on this device that I'm holding in my hand, I can just pop it open, especially with the um, a la carte Marvel and DC you know, offerings that are three months delayed. But still, you've got everything on there for one small you know, flat fee. A lot of our listeners read that way. We get a noticeable bump in downloads three months after the show comes out when those readers go to listen to the show, finally it's interesting that all the different ways to read is sort of blown up the traditional way of reading comics. The traditional trade to single issue divide is because there's so many, there's not, there's digital, there's, there's delayed digital, you know, it's, there's a lot of different ways to be a comic reader now. And I think, you know, and they're all valid, obviously. And you know, it's funny because if you're, if you're a, offering a service or a product and you're offering in many different formats, you can't get mad when they, people take you up on it. So like I remember going to conventions and seeing Dan to DS speak, and people would ask him about trades and he would be like, we want you to read the issues. Like, well then don't put the trades out. You know, that you can't, you can't be uh, mad about people reading one form or another if you offer it. Uh, but the trade trades have always been the trade program and strategy has always been unwieldy. DC decimated their trade program when they and they had all those layoffs uh, last year. So I'm I'm even surprised books come out at all from DC at this point. Marvel's always been a mess in terms of what they they release and when. It's always a sort of a miracle when anything comes out, honestly.
0: And I always felt like, you know, within DC, Vertigo was almost like made for the trade. Like, I I know that they put out issues, single issues, uh, you know, things like Scalps and Why the Last Man. But I always felt like, at least when I was working in the comic book shop, you know, pushing trades of Vertigo series just because a lot of times the series had a, a, a beginning, middle, and an end, right? So you could say, "Oh yeah, here are the nine volumes," and you yeah, people
1: and read Vertigo thing. readers were tended to be trained to read that way. I I mean, I think that the I think they made way more money, like like kind of like Image does on the trade sales than the single sales. I, there was certainly Vertigo series I read and issued again, mostly because of the show. But you know, Vertigo Vertigo was the thing that really got me to become a trade reader. Like when I I still remember when I was 22 reading preacher for the first time in trade and having those nine volumes on my shelf and being like, yeah, that's the way to read a comic. That's how I I really like that the best. And and in most, most cases I still do like reading the trades the best.
0: You just, you just like getting a big chunk of story to really sink your teeth into or yeah. And
1: it's nice to have, and I just, I like having all the volumes there to, you can see the entire series on the shelf. You know, like when I walk past my shelf, I can see the entirety of invincible on my shelf, the entirety of walking dead on my shelf, you know, like these books that i read in, and those are books i read in trade fear agent you know the i just like seeing them i like sitting down and getting a meaty chunk of them now doing the show prevents that but you know there's also different ways to do it you can read all kinds of things in all kinds of ways i think we babble enough, enough, babble enough about that contact that fanboy.com thanks for writing in patrick and greg you can write in uh, also but keep in mind that at the end of the year, we we put all of our emails into a folder and start fresh for the next year. So, um, you know, you only got two more two more shows, and so we may not get to your email. Uh, and we apologize if we don't. You can always resend it next year. And, again, for MediaSplode, even though Media is over for the year, you can write us for next year as well. Let's talk quickly about how to support the show uh, really fast. There's patreon.com slash ifan. we mentioned it several times. There's ifanbo.threadplus.com where our T-shirts are sold. There's ifanbo.com slash support is our digital tip jar via PayPal com slash Amazon is our general hob- hob- link for shopping. It's the holidays. The holiday season is officially, shopping season has officially begun, even though people have already been doing it. And if you want to do it via iFambo, we'd appreciate it. No, no skin off your nose just off of Amazon's. And finally, our links to our booksplo- bookshop books. You'll find those in our Books shows. And we thank everyone who supports the show. Out now, uh, other shows we've got going on. We mentioned Josh's interview with Jason Aaron to Talks That's out in the feed. You can go back and find that one. You can also find our year-end media splode mailbag show. That was our final media splode of the year. That's in the feed. You can go back and you can find our review of the Marvels. Josh and Paul and I saw that and reviewed that last week or the week before. Whenever t- I don't know where I'm. I'm doing this in the bathroom. I don't know what's going on or what time means. And then uh, coming up this week is book splode. Josh and I reviewed the first four books of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: the original first first twelve issues by like Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And that's coming out this week. That was a fun conversation and fun read. You can look forward to that. It's already done. It's in the can. It's already edited. It's in the system. It's ready to go. It'll definitely be coming out. And then finally, our holiday schedule. As I mentioned, we've got two more picks of the week this year, five more shows. This week, our book booksplode. And then coming up uh, this weekend, this coming weekend, will be our pick week 907. The week after that, will be pick week 908. The week, and then coming up after that show, will be the final talksplode of the year. Josh has someone booked but not done yet so we won't reveal who it is but that'll definitely be coming out it may even be coming out before december 14th it may come out the week before so we'll see how that goes and then our final show of the year as always is our all media year and roundup that'll be coming out on december 17th and then we take a break for the holidays and spend time with our families and we'll be back we'll be back january 7th with pick of the week 909
0: my up was i supposed to say something you're, up. You're, up. You're <laughs> completely up. lost my place in the script. Oh, you can find our That's library. Okay.
1: You're taking Josh's place. That's
0: what Josh does. <laughs> Is it me? Where am I? Okay. Um, you can find our library of over 1300 shows and counting over at ifanboy.com or wherever podcasts are sold. Follow us at ifanboycomics on Instagram and find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out. And sometimes for the best of the week in panels, follow us individually. CS Kilpatrick on Instagram, at Ryan Haupt on Instagram, and uh, if you want to follow that, that old old man, Flanagan, you can do so at JFlanagan Flanagan on Instagram.
1: Are you off of X or are you still on X?
0: I, my account still exists, but I haven't looked at it in months and okay. I have no intentions of returning.
1: You can subscribe to our YouTube page, youtube.com. That's where you can find this show every week. Plus, you can go back. If you're a new uh, listener, you can find become an old viewer and watch all of our old video shows from many, many years ago.
0: And we know they're not viewers, right? They will. They are if they do that. As soon as Hello. you watch one
1: YouTube show, you become a viewer. Wow, that's, so that's your official designation, you're a viewer. Stormtroopers sitting on the ground. And so you can find years and years of old video shows. You can watch us slowly age into uh, this craggly old form we are now uh, via video. And also check out our various shorts that we chose to wear while sitting on couches. Uh, and please consider leaving a review or a star rating. That could be your holiday gift to us for whatever holiday you celebrate for the gifts you give. You could give leave us a star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts or write a review. It helps people find the show. It helps the algorithm promote the show. And we do appreciate that.
0: I like that if you guys were going to go back and to do a George Lucas special edition of your shows, it would just be editing in pants.
1: Oh, my God. It would just be putting – yes, it would be putting legs on the pants. That would be one. That would 100% be what we would do. <laughs>
0: That's your uh,
1: No yeah. one no one told us. That's what happens when you have a producer who's watching from the from the back and it's not on camera is no one says, this is not a good idea, put pants on. All right. Thanks for listening to our janky Thanksgiving show that I'm recording from a bathroom. Uh, appreciate your time this year. And anyway, we have two more shows to go. And until then, I'm Connor.
0: I'm Ryan. Thanks for powering through the Trip to Fan to talk to me, Connor. I'm so tired. <laughs> See you next week. Stay safe out there. It's Texas. Be careful.